0: Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and and gentlemen, gentlemen. we love movies with Gordon Hayden. This
1: film blew me away. So
0: that's against the rules and you can't sit with us. we just become best friends? Yep.
1: Hasta la vista, baby. And the winner
0: is We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden. Ben. Hello, and you're very welcome along to We Love Movies on this St. Patrick's Weekend. Hope you're having a good one. Lots of films to, to discuss on this week's show, one of which is The Phantom of the Open, which has got a great cast led by Mark Rylance, and it's written by Simon Farnaby. And Simon Farnaby is one of those writers, and he's also an actor. And when you if you saw Simon Farnaby, you go, ah, him. He's been in the likes of uh, uh, This Time with Alan Partridge, um, Horrible Histories. Mindhorn, he's been in a whole host of different TV shows, but he has quite a lot of uh, accolades as well to his name and writing credits. He's one of the main writers on Paddington 2, for example. Um, he recently dabbled with the script for Pinocchio for Robert Zemeckis and he has written Wonka, the prequel to Willy Wonka, which is currently being shot by Paddington director Paul King, starring Timothy uh, Chalamet. So, uh, busy man is Simon Farnaby, so we'll be talking to him all about his brand new film, The Phantom of the Open, plus we'll be taking a look at the other new release um, that are out as well. Plus, I'll be chatting to Andy McCarroll about last weekend's Comic-Con because a whole host of stars over for that. And we'll be hearing how Andy got on when he met some of them, like Ron Perlman. So lots to come on this week's We Love Movies. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. Now, a film which is playing in select cinemas this weekend is The Phantom of the Open, which stars Mark Rylance as... A man by the name of Morris Flickcroft. Now, this is based on a true story, and Morris was dubbed the world's worst golfer. This is a real Eddie the Eagle style story where you have someone who absolutely loves and adores the sport. They just want to be taken seriously, even though the higher powers that be just want them ousted. But it's that underdog spirit that just makes them go, you know what? I'm not giving up. I've got something to prove, which makes it a real heartwarming story. Uh, before, I were going to play you our interview with Simon Farnaby, the writer. And it's a small role in the Phantom of the Open. I mentioned earlier on that Simon Farnaby has been in a whole host of uh, big TV shows from this time with Alan Partridge, uh, Horrible Histories, to also starring in the likes of Mindhorn alongside Julian Barrett. He also co-wrote the script for that. But he's also written uh, scripts for the likes of Pannington 2 and uh, the upcoming Willy Wonka prequel, Wonka. So before I chat to Simon Farnaby, here's just a little bit from his latest film, which he's written, The Phantom of the Open.
1: And that one was for the title.
2: Golf. Golf. I'm going to have a crack at the British Open remember,
1: whatever happens, no one can say you didn't try. Please welcome on the team, Morris Flitcroft. Where is it? Oh, God. Don't adjust the television. This is actually happening. (laughs) It says here his name is Morris Flitcroft.
0: What's got into you,
2: Flitcroft? How does it feel to have shot the worst round in the history of the Open?
1: That's
0: hard
2: to tell. It's the first round I've ever
0: played. Simon, it's a real pleasure to talk to you. I've been really looking forward to getting to spend some time with you uh, to talk all things uh, The Phantom of the Open. But before I do, I just wanted to mention Mindhorn has come to Disney+, Plus, which is great, and it's going to open it up to a whole new audience. And that is such a gem of a film, uh, yourself and Julian Barrett, what you did. And I think anyone who's a fan of that film just wants more. It kind of just was a it felt like a big teaser for for more of that, that character. And I don't know if Richard Thorncroft, uh, who Julian plays in the film, will ever see the light of day again because I came out of the cinema and I thought I'd love to see a TV series of more about what he'd get up to. Almost like the way with I'm Alan Partridge where he ended up in a travel tavern and the static home. I don't know if we'd ever see Thorncroft ride again. I don't know if the conversations have been had and the fact that it's now on Disney Plus if there's ever potential for more Mindhorn.
1: Well, Gordon, I mean, you know, uh, you need to speak to the powers that be and get them to open up this opportunity for us. Um, uh, I, you know, I somebody told me it was on Disney Plus and I and I I didn't believe them, but you you've um now corroborated that uh, that theory. Um, I didn't know that. Nobody tells me these things. I I'm, I'm very pleased because it wasn't available on Netflix or or I think maybe Amazon somewhere, but that's great, and we, you know, we wanted to do more. Um, it was a sort of cult hit, really. It, people who found it loved it, like like yourself, people with great taste. Um, and um, we were expecting to be asked to do more, and then there was a deafening silence. So, oh no! <laughs> we, and then, and then. Um, Julian and I live quite close to each other, so we kept saying, you know, the phone hasn't started ringing yet. We had a few ideas for things, but um, in a way we felt it was a bit of a one-off story because it was sort of about a a sort of crazy, a madman who believes he's real. And we went, well, could you then have another sort of, yes, suppose, like you're saying, you could have the actor, follow the actor around, you know, that might be fun. But but no one's asked us to do it yet, so we've moved on to Pastures New. And speaking of pastors, new as we segue
0: into the the Phantom of the Open, I saw it yesterday, Simon, and it is such a lovely film. Like it's it's what people almost need now with so much craziness in the world it is so uplifting it is so sweet all these characters you just want to give them a big hug it is it is so well done and i just think what craig roberts has done with your work and craig roberts probably best known as an actor and submarine uh, richard iowadi's film was the one that kind of really seemed to launch him what an a short piece of filmmaking it almost reminded me of um An old style of filmmaking um, that we would have seen back in the 60s and early 70s. And so to see your book transformed in this way, it's such a wonderful piece of work. When did conversations start to happen around The Phantom of the Open being turned into a film? Because I think one of the early reviews in The Guardian, I'm paraphrasing here,
1: but it was something along the lines, this would make for a great film. Yeah, the the uh, that someone said that about the book. Um, yeah, it's a strange one. I actually I actually wrote a screenplay before we did the book. A uh, very bad screenplay in hindsight. And then we wrote the book, and then I realised the screenplay was totally useless uh, because it was all made up stuff. You know, based around a sort of skeleton of what I'd read in in you know obituaries and what was available to the public. And really, when we did the book, we did a deep dive into, you know, Morris, who he was, what he was thinking. We got hold of his autobiography, which was huge, you know, this unpublished 500 pages, handwritten of, you know, just a gift for a writer you know uh of a book and a screenwriter to go oh this is what he was thinking throughout the whole thing and and a lot of that stuff is in the film and and so i always had a film in mind even even before the book and then the book really was like the big sort of research document for, for the film. And then after I did the book, I had so much information to to then structure a screenplay. Um, and, and now here we are. And as you say, Craig Roberts did a great job. You know, it was always my intention. The screenplay, put it this way, could have been very sort of kitchen sinky, y drama-y, you know, Ken Loach, Mike Lee, or, or, or a very, um, cause it is a book story about a very working class guy, working class background and, 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 in, in a very sort of, um, rusty setting, you know, Barrow. Um, but Craig said, which is what I wanted, he went, I want this to be like the Big Lebowski. I want it to be like a Coen Brothers film, I want it to be fast and, and like pacey and fun. And, um, um, you know, and have flights of fancy and visual flourishes and and that's and, and music, you know, like really rocking soundtrack and and I went, That's perfect. You you you've got the job <laughs> And you know what, Simon, when you mention there the Coen brothers, and now that I look
0: back at the film, I go, yes, of course. I can definitely see the shades of Big Lebowski about it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, the, the, the bowling, you know, the bowling scene, the, the sort of, when he has the dream of bowling and the, Morris has the dream of sort of the golf ball and the moon and all that sort of stuff is, is quite Big Lebowski, yeah. <laughs>
0: totally. Like, Morris's story, it is an incredible one. And, but, like, he came on the radar uh, back in seventy six. With this horrendous uh, round at uh, the British Open, but like for you, you would have been around three uh, when that uh, all happened for Morris, and I didn't even know his story. Like, when did he, Morris Flickcroft really come on to your radar uh, for you to kind of go, hang on, there's something with this fella that that, that no one has tapped into in terms of writing his story. What,
1: yeah, well, I heard of him uh, when I was a junior in the 80s. So, the mid 80s, I was playing golf, and Flitcroft was a sort of term of, you know, if you hit a bad shot, you're a Flitcroft, or if someone was particularly bad, they were a Flitcroft, because his legend was around golf, you know. Um, And then I forgot about him for. 20 years 30 years and then in 2007 I was reading um, The Guardian I think it was and I saw in the obituaries that he he died and I went oh that guy I remember that guy um, that crap golfer and then I, I read his obituary which was hilarious you know I mean it was just it had a lot of the quotes that are in the film like you know he was interviewed after his round and he said why did you do so badly and he said well the main problem was I left the forward my forward in the boot of the car and um things like that and and I just went this could make like a good uh you know film you know because it's such a funny story and it's true and it no one really heard of it you know um and and so really that gap between you know my my sort of childhood, you know. I, I'd then given up on my own dream of being a professional golfer, and uh, had a new dream of, you know, writing films and doing comedy. And so it was a way of really putting together my my the twin passions I'd developed over my over my life. You know,
0: the one thing I thought of when I finished watching the film was, I went, "That is such a lovely tribute to Morris. Like you, you can't but come away from the film just." It's full of positivity. It's just it's just beaming with warmth um, through it, and I just went, "What a lovely." just finale for Morris you know for him to come across go from the zero to the hero which is evident in the film but just for to have this now out there for his legacy I think is is a wonderful testament uh, to him again in terms of his story Simon because as I was watching the film with my wife we were kind of curious as to know what bits were real and what weren't just in terms of the family dynamic because like that he had twin boys but his, his eldest stepson Mike Flitcroft it, it was that somebody is that a real person or did you create that character for within the
1: confines of the story for the film no it's a good question yeah uh, Mike um, Mike does exist and and uh, all, all that's true um, there's a slight um, m- m- fudge in that Mike also represents some of Morris's other family who didn't appreciate what he was doing so so um um, for example, Morris had a brother who I won't mention, who's who's still alive, who 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 still doesn't love the fact that Morris's name is, you know, he thinks it brings the family into disrepute. Although he has softened on that, you know, recently. But you know, Morris, when he was, you know, he had he had a few brothers that that didn't enjoy what he was doing and and felt it brought the family name down, and and so Mike really represents that side of that that side of the family really um so that's that's where that came from um and sadly mike is no longer with us uh, um but uh, he he was very supportive of the Of the film, we spoke to him for the book, and he was hugely supportive. As were all Morris's family. James is still alive; one of the twins. Um, He's actually in the film. He makes a brief appearance, as does Morris's granddaughter, who who's also in the film, and she's a really good actress, actually, uh, Bianca. Um, And so um, we got a lot of support from 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 the family. Uh, Mostly, um, all all good stuff. Oh, that's good to hear some there's so much in the pipeline
0: for you uh, most notably Pinocchio and Wonka um, films which people cannot wait to see uh, Pinocchio is in post-production I again I'm just
1: curious about working with Robert Zemeckis. I've met the man himself and he strikes well, me I, I need to stop you there because when when we're not that's uh, <laughs> we're um, we were involved in that early on but um, we um, we're not involved in the final sort of script of, of that, yeah. So that's good info, but we we were on quite early and then we, we um, uh, very amicably, I must say, um, uh, had to sort of stop doing that, that project. Uh, so so I'm not sure who did that in the end, but but uh, I assume it's brilliant no, knowing Robert Zemeckis and the, uh, I think Tom Hanks is in it or something. I Tom don't know. Hanks, he's but, playing Geppetto. But you're, right, but, but you're right about Wonka, though. That is well, suggest- that's good. Yes. <laughs> You're in, your intel is, is, is good on
0: that one. But listen, unfortunately, time has caught up with this, Simon. And uh, listen, it would be lovely to, to chat to you more about all the, the projects that you've got in the pipeline. But uh, it's been such a joy talking to you. The Phantom of the Open. It's a real must-see. It is a wonderful film from start to finish. Simon Farnby, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thanks so much, Gordon. Cheers. Great talking to you.
0: And The Phantom of the Open is playing in select cinemas uh, this weekend and we'll be reviewing it a little later with Chris Wasser. But now we're going to turn our attention to Comic Con Dublin, which took place last week in the convention centre. But there is another one which will be happening later in the year in August. And if the crowds are anything to go by eh, at last week's event, there is such a huge appetite for Comic-Con and it'll be absolutely thronged with people come August. Now there's so much to see and do there. It was a great um, a few days if you got along. Do let us know what you thought of it. Just hashtag movies in your tweet. Andy McCarroll was there in MC mode, getting to speak to some of the dignitaries that were there. Uh, Andy, just first and foremost, before we hear how you got on with the likes of Ron Perlman, and what did you think of the weekend in general?
3: I Well, it's built for me, basically. Um, it's fantastic. There's a great Traders Hall full of comic books. There's lots of, you know, like customized Legos, statues, costume, and things like that. Wouldn't be my thing. You're like tabletop gaming for people. There was a, a massive cosplay cons- contest as well. It's just, it's something for every kind of facet of geek fandom is there. Like it doesn't matter if you're into the comic books or into the movies, the TV shows, just dressing up in the cosplay, Dungeons and Dragons. There's something for everybody there. And it's just a real sense of a can. I think because as well, we've, this is the first one back since we've had the cancelling was two in two in the last two years because of COVID. Everybody was just there on a big positive buzz, which, you know, maybe it'll be gone away by August. I don't think so. But it was just great to see everyone genuinely excited to be sharing, you know, the interest that they maybe haven't been able to, to share as much over the past two years. Well, I know for me and
0: um, I got lucky enough that I got to see Andy at the event, uh, which is great, along with Olivia Fahi, our other uh, We Love movie stalwart. Uh, my son was there. So he he was super excited to, to, to get around and to see everything and to take it all on board. And he just for him, the Lego it, 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 it is his <laughs> big calling card. That's what he wanted to see. But it was great. And there's this lovely sense of atmosphere and occasion and also parents that are really into like movies and comic books and just popular culture. And you can really see how they're kind of handing down their love of whatever it might be from like, superheroes to the likes of the goonies jaws whatever it is and kind of handing it down to their children so it's it's a lovely family event if you've never been uh, before and as i mentioned it's uh, the next one is happening in august the summer edition But Andy, you also are very busy because uh, you get booked every year to interview some of the big names, and one of which was Ron Perlman, of course, of Hellboy fame, not the recent one, but uh, of course, the Guillermo del Toro ones. And he's got so many um, credits to his name. He was, of course, one of the villains in Drive as well. And he has a very distinct look ron perlman um but again he was one of the big names in attendance there were some there was a number of uh, uh interesting people uh, over the weekend but ron perlman how did you find the experience of interviewing him
3: i really enjoy it. the thing i like about the the comic-con setting is it's not like you, you know yourself going to do this year where we have like the kind of the junket interviews you get five minutes everybody's very on point they know they're there to sell the film this is like um, an hour conversation along with like a and a as well he had with the fans where it's a very kind of relaxed atmosphere and they're telling stories and kind of letting things slip, shall we say, that they maybe shouldn't be or they wouldn't normally do. He had some, like he's 40 years in the business now. He had some great stories where he was you know, spitting in the face of Sean Connery for, you know, 12 takes during In the Name of the Rose. And then little things like, remember for years we thought the Hellboy, the, the reboot, he'd been offered a cameo in it. He actually revealed it wasn't a cameo. He was offered the lead role in that and said, absolutely not, I'm not doing it without Guillermo del Toro. And then kind of went off and went about, well, how did they find the money for this terrible film? But they couldn't find one for, for the third one. And just little things like that, like little behind the scenes things I love where you know they, they let their guard down. They actually have a, a proper conversation with you. And he was just... he." is a proper movie star. He just has that presence and he has that you know, distinguished voice that, you know, the guy could read the phone book and you'd be sitting there going, this is the coolest thing I've ever heard. And unfortunately, he broke the hearts of a few Sons of Anarchy fans who would got up dressed in full outfit and asked him, though his favorite Harley Davidson. he said, I actually hate motorbikes because they're too loud and I drive a Tesla. So <laughs> the, the, the head of the, yeah, uh, the sons of Anarchy Claymore driving a, a Tesla because it's nice and quiet, uh, kind of burst a few bubbles for people there.
0: <laughs> That's absolutely brilliant. Um, and Again, you mentioned there, Andy, about just how honest and open they can be at these events because of the, the relaxed setting. Were there any particular stories that really took you by surprise?
3: The one that kind of stuck out for me was uh, Michael It's from The Walking Dead. He plays um, Sergeant Abraham, in it, and his character was memorably killed off by uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan's character, Negan, with the bat. It was him and uh, Glenn, another character, spoiler if you haven't seen I think he's about five years old at this point. But he basically said he was not happy with how his character was killed off. And it's rare you kind of everyone's like, oh, you yeah, know, I can see, I, you know, I can see the point of the story and all this. He just pretty much said, he goes, I was killed off and Glenn was killed off, two of the biggest characters. He didn't give kind of time to breathe for either. So rather than build it up and have this big shock moment, you just had two kind of things lumped together. So there wasn't really a time to develop, you know, the aftermath of what happened to Abraham or what happened to Glenn. So he was very open and frank about that, which I which I was surprised with because, you know, Hollywood being so political and him being such a no, still a working actor, he's still actually involved. He directs episodes of The Walking Dead now. For us. so, him to come out and say, Look, I wasn't happy with how you dealt with me was a, a bit of a surprise, I must say. Uh, and, and generally, for those that have never been to Comic Con before, you get the opportunity
0: to um, see a QA with someone like, say, Ron Perlman, and then there's the opportunity to meet them face to face and where you can get stuff signed and what have you. Like, do you get much time with the
3: person when you go up to get something signed, or is it very much like, and you've got a minute go? no and that's one of the surprising things. i've been to a couple of the big cons in the states where it's literally it's it's a cattle here or cattle call you walk up you shake the hand if you're you know lucky enough to even get that and nowadays they sign the autograph you take the picture off you go here because the crowd you don't have 15 and people here you have a bit more time to have a personal experience with people And i think that was the big takeaway from me is that everybody who i spoke to because i'm very like Talk to people before like, like trying to get little tidbits or behind the scenes like what were they like and everybody said "Oh, i got proper time with people and i got to you know speak and i felt like i had an experience with them and the the standout for me like the, the people that absolutely blew my mind was uh daniel and lewis uh moncada they play the, the salamanca twins on breaking bad yes now for me going into that when i heard i was doing their panel i was i haven't seen them in, in anything else i was kind of like these guys even speak English like it. I've never heard them talk. I think anything other than Spanish on the show. They just absolutely blew me away. They were two motor mouth lunatics. They were effing and jeffing through the whole panel. They were dressed as their characters. Anyone who got a picture got like multiple goes of the pictures. That there's you know, if you've been on um, any of the Instagram, if you look up the the hashtag Dublin Comic Con, you will see countless pictures of people. You know, fans with their head on the table with the two guys with the axe trying to chop them in. They were absolutely game ball for anything. It was brilliant to see it. I think that was, they had the spirit of Comic-Con in them because they just made every single person who went to their table felt like they got an experience as well. And I also can't go without uh, mentioning um, Morris LaMarche and Rob Paulson who do Pinky and the Brain and pretty much every cartoon you've had in your childhood, Tasmania, The Mask, Biker Mice from Mars. They were absolutely incredible. The two of them are like a human jukebox. Anyone you went up and was like, oh, I'm a big fan of Calculon from Futurama. All of a sudden they're talking to you, you know, in Calculon's voice and they're being very personable. And it sounds like such a silly thing, but like mentioning your name when you speak, like really paying attention to what you've said to them rather than here, sign this, take the money and go. Everyone kind of felt like, you know, I got my few minutes with them. I felt like, you know, I've got a story to tell about every person who I met at this, which you don't necessarily get at a lot of the cons as well, or some of the, the sports things that I've gone to where, you know, you try and get a picture with like a footballer or something like that. And they, you know, look at you like they'd rather be anywhere else in the world.
0: Oh, Andy, listen, it sounds fantastic. And Andy, listen, it's testament to you as an interviewer, because um, the, uh, the 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 report back is that you were amazing on the day uh, as well. And that everyone loved the questions that you asked. So fair play to you. Andy, listen, thanks so much for giving us that insight into uh, this year's Comic-Con. And as I mentioned, there'll be another one come August. Well, that's it for part one of We Love Movies. But coming up in the second half. We are going to be reviewing a whole host of new and recent releases, one of which is The Phantom of the Open. And we'll also be taking a look at uh, Sean Baker's new film, Red Rocket, as well. That's to come very shortly here on We Love Movies. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. Now on We Love Movies, we are going to take a look at some new releases and some recent releases. And one film which is playing in select cinemas this weekend is The Phantom of the Open, which is based on a true story. This film is very much in the same league now as films like, say, Eddie the Eagle, which, of course, is based on a true story, along with, say, Cool Runnings. Uh, the old John Candy uh, comedy film, which, again, is a uh, uh, semi-biopic as well. Uh, Joining me to review them is Chris Wasser, and Andy McCarroll is with us too. Uh, Chris, you've seen quite a lot that's out this week. Uh, The Phantom of the Open, Mark Rylance leads the charge on this film. And it's essentially a movie based on a man by the name of Morris Flitcroft. And he was considered to be the world's worst golfer
2: he was and that's uh, which which is probably a result of you know taking up golf uh, you know in his late 40s um but yeah he was the world's worst golfer and he was also dubbed the phantom of the open because in 1976 after he learned that there were going to be redundancies at the shipyard where he worked he actually worked as a crane driver in cumbria um he decided um you know after kind of you know dedicating his life to his family and his boys you know to kind of you know give something else a shot and instead of you know finding another job decided to take up you know a hobby. Basically, and to give golf a try after watching, you know, a championship on telly one night. And he was encouraged by his wife, Jean, who is here in this film portrayed by Sally Hawkins to just, you know, join the club, uh, you know, get some gear, you know, have some fun on a course. He didn't just do that. He actually blagged his way because of a flaw in the application system into the British Open. He blagged his way. He, he landed a coveted spot on in their qualifying rounds, despite the fact that he was a complete novice. He lo- he put on his application that he was a professional. The you know golfing community didn't think anything of us, and there he was competing. Uh, you know for or, you know for a spot in the championship. But the, the only thing is, he, he wasn't you know naturally gifted. This isn't a Happy Gilmore sort of situation, um, and the golfing community didn't take too kindly to what they soon discovered. You know because the TV cameras were on him you know, this Morris Flickhoff character to be, you know, this eccentric commoner making a mockery of their game um, and, and you know, also hitting the highest score in the tournament's history. Uh, so the film kind of explores how he did that, how he got on, you know, and also what happened afterwards, you know, because after he hit that high score, was he able to continue as a golfer or, you know, were the golfing community out to get him and prevent him from ever playing again? So we, we, we kind of uh, discover all, all of that throughout this picture.
0: All right. Let's take a little bit from the Phantom of the Open, which is playing in select cinemas this weekend aim for the stars what well, if we lose at least you can say you
2: tried you've got to take these things up at age six you can't take them up at 46. well who says he's made your life a misery he's made my life he's made all our lives i just need to practice practice is the road to perfection ah
0: sorry how'd he do
2: he shot the high score in major history
0: Does that mean he's
2: won
1: if I can inspire just one person. Yeah! Come on, boys! Well, that's all in one, isn't it? What a great opening drive. Have they got the real Morris Flitcroft? Oh, I think that's him.
0: So there's a little bit from the Phantom of the Open, as I mentioned earlier. It's playing in select cinemas this weekend. Earlier in the show, we were chatting to the film's writer, and uh, he's got a small role in the film as well, Simon Farnaby, who people will know from uh, um, this time, um, uh, this time at Alan Partridge, and he's been in loads of like horrible histories. He's one of the writers on the likes of Paddington Two. Um, he was also in Mindhorn as well, which is currently on Disney Plus, And I would definitely urge you to check that film out. It is brilliant with Julian Barrett and Simon Farnaby. Really, really good film. But he um, wrote the book, The Phantom of the Open, which of course the film is based on, and he's one of the screenwriters as well. Chris, I uh, mentioned as well, you've seen this one this week. This, it's an interesting film in the sense that it's very much in the same league as the recent Eddie the Eagle movie. And there could be like almost like spiritual cousins of films. But tonally, this is where the film is quite interesting because this could be a kitchen sink drama in the vein of someone like Ken, uh, Ken Loach or, or Mike Lee, but it feels more like it's dressed up like an old Ealing comedy. Now, those of a certain vintage will remember those films of a of, uh, they, they huge business in the likes of the 50s and 60s and 70s to a degree. But they kind of had this real British charm. And this is what this film has about it. It has that plucky underdog feel, but there's something very charming about it. And at the same time, there's times where you kind of wanted to get more into the body comedy that is always seems like it's simmering there. So stylistically and tonally, how did the film work for you, Chris?
2: It works uh, very well, Gordon. Um, And you're right. You know, it is kind of uh, a distant cousin of other, you know, under underdog sports dramaties like, you know, Cool Runnings and Eddie the Eagle. Actually, it does for golf what eddie the eagle did for ski jumping in that it takes this you know true story of this complete underdog who was laughed at by most of his peers and you know who people tried to to stop him when all he wanted to do was you know basically play with the big boys in in whatever sport they were in And, and and it turns it into this very charming relatable comedy that although there is there are probably numerous there are probably dozens hundreds of details that are left out of this story i mean as you said simon farnaby he actually wrote the biography about the world. I think, I think it's called the world's worst Worst golfer, the story of Morris Flickcroft, although it could have explored all of those areas, Simon Farnaby in his research and his writing, he obviously knows, look, I can tell two different types of stories here. You know, I can do this really kind of, you know, uh, grim and depressing uh, British drama about, you know, people losing their, 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 their jobs. And, you know, the reason why Morris Flickcroft got into golf or, you know, I can, you know, create something a lot more charming. I can infuse it a lot more humor in there. And Simon Farnaby is no stranger to comedy. And, you know, he gave us some heartwarming fare in the likes of Paddington, as you said. He's combined all of those and created something special. Although I should say it would be nothing without Mark Rylance, because Rylance seems to know that, there. you know, he seems to just understand the tone that we're going for here. And he's not playing Morris Flitcroft as an aegis. I think it'd be a very different film if he was. This guy knew you know, to 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 a degree, uh, what he was doing, and that he just kind of wanted to just you know break down some of the you know the prejudices there, break down you know the stuffiness of the golfing community, and just like play, as I said, with you know all of the big boys. And Rylands kind of understands that, and he you know every now and then he has these great one-liners, but there's like a little soft uh, dramatic performance going on in there too. So in in in, in total, it is quite irresistible. Uh, you know, you could make a completely different film on it about it if you wanted to, but I think this one suits it just fine. It's a fascinating fascinating real life story, but also a terrific biopic.
0: I was really taken by it and because it's not treading any new territory by any means, you can kind of see the trajectory if if you've seen any of these type of films before, but it just worked. And it it just it was just a and and I know this might sound very glib, but it just it was just a lovely film. And with all the horrendous things that are going on in the world, I'd be shocked if you didn't come out of this film and go, that was just such a nice time at the cinema. It really is. I think it's, it's the type of film you could nearly bring your dad to, you know what I mean? That, yeah. It has that kind of quality to it. It's just that type of film. Great cast in there. It's, it's again, if you really enjoy the Taron Edgerton Hugh Jackman film, Eddie the Eagle based of course on Eddie the Eagle. And, and that film did have some artistic license with its story. And, The Phantom of the Open does exactly the same with Morris Flickcroft as well. I thoroughly enjoy enjoy it. I'd say out of 10, Chris, I'd give it a 7. What would you give it?
2: I'd probably go for the 8. I mean, you know, I just, I love... I love these types of films, like *The Duke*, being another recent example, where you have these audacious chancers who are actually quite likable, and they have a heart of gold and a good reason for doing, you know, the bonkers things that they do. So, uh, long may this kind of new trend continue, because this has been a good couple of weeks for really kind of, you know, uh, rickety but very charming uh, uh, old-school British comedies. I'd like to see more of these.
0: Great stuff. Now we're going to move on to a film which um, was released last week, The Adam Project, starring Ryan Reynolds, and he's reteamed with his um, with, with Sean Levy, who is a filmmaker. I'm not that crazy about um, his his work. He tends to make a lot of real studio fare, but he had massive success there recently with Free Guy, and Ryan Reynolds and him are definitely joined at the hip because Reynolds has brought him on board to direct the third Deadpool movie. So this is their new collaboration, The Adam Project. Andy, this film, it's its very much hearkening back to an almost Amblin style of filmmaking. Amblin, for those that don't know, would be um, Steven Spielberg's production company. and They would have had huge success in the 80s with that Spielbergian style of action adventure, a family fair. And this film is trying to be all of those things, But Ryan Reynolds, he's the one thing though, he's not really moving out of his comfort zone because he's pretty much doing Ryan Reynolds in this.
3: Yeah, I think it's very much a case of if it's not broken, don't fix it. And I think what tends to be overlooked with Ryan Reynolds is like his career was on a bit of a hide into nothing until Deadpool. Like if you go back through his, you know, the 10, 15 films nearly he'd done before then, you had like the the X-Men Origins Wolverine film, you had things like Green Lantern, R.I.P.D. Films that, you know, just came and went. So I think He's very much afraid to shift out of that comfort zone because anytime he has done things like Hitman's Bodyguard, Detective Pikachu, Six Underground, they haven't done particularly well. So I think he's found a niche here that you know I can just be Ryan Reynolds being Mark or being Ryan Reynolds. So I was gonna say similar to like Mark Wahlberg is kind of realise if I just play Mark Wahlberg in every film, I'll be fine. So it's sad in a way because I do think there is more to him he did a fantastic film called buried a couple of years ago where the whole film was essentially him in a coffin and he was absolutely fantastic in it so i think there's too much money on the table now especially with the um with free guy doing so well with deadpool moving to uh with sean levy that director again i just think he's going to be his buddy the rock has rubbed off on him too much and he's he's all about the dollars these days (laughs) and not about uh pushing himself as an actor you are That is such a really <laughs> good example there, The Rock. Oh,
0: God, yeah, you really can tell. And Sean Lee and him will be working yet again because no sooner will they finish on Deadpool 3, they'll be moving on to Free Guy 2. I, to be honest, I'm not sure which one will, will come first, but they'll that's definitely in the offering for the pair of them. But the Adam Project, Chris, just to bring you back in here, there, again, it's got the Spielberg thing going on. It's got a touch of Tom Hanks big in there as well. But it's about a young boy who ends up meeting his future self and that future self being, of course, Ryan Reynolds.
2: Yeah, that's the very simplified version of it. And I'm going to do my best not to trip over my own words here, but also take a second to uh, agree with Andy, which is quite rare. Uh, Buried is Ryan Reynolds best film. And it it was a terrific performance and a genuinely frightening thriller and something not at all like the rest of the films in, in his catalog. So if you haven't seen that, do check it out. Um, yeah, Reynolds here is Adam Reed, and he's a time-traveling fighter pilot, and I think he's from the year 2050, and in a very kind of confusing, discombobulated opener, we see him kind of, you know, creating this wormhole and traveling back to the year 2022 for whatever reason. He's been chased by a baddie. There's an awful lot of explosions in space. You you know, you'll, you'll catch on. But he crash lands in the woods behind this old house in 2022, and that brings him into contact with his 12-year-old self, played by Walker Scobell, who I don't believe has ever actually acted in a film before, and he is actually quite good good Here, at, at playing, you know, a young kind of Sarke, you know, intentionally annoying Ryan Reynolds type figure, and it also brings the older Ryan Reynolds, Adam Reed, into contact with his devoted mom Ellie, played by Jennifer Garner. And um, without giving too much away, you know, present and also future Adam Reed's future is in trouble, and he's also looking for his wife who is lost in time, played by Zoe Saldana. So he's going to require younger Adam's help and that of their late father, portrayed by Mark Ruffalo. Not just to save future Adam Reed's presence, but also to help wounds, to help heal wounds from past Adam's past. <laughs> I am totally <laughs> losing the plot here. But I th- and also to find his wife. So there is an awful lot going on in there, Gordon. I hope, I hope, I
0: hope you understood some of that. I did. I got, I got a feel for it. And but yeah, it, but it also strikes me as the type of thing where is this. Do you remember like movies like Flight of the Navigator and those yeah. type of films where they didn't necessarily. I don't know if they even got leased. Because uh, when I was a kid, I just remember that being on video. I don't. I don't even remember even going to cinemas. But is this the, Is Netflix the perfect home for oh, yeah. a film like the Adam Project?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's an original story. It was actually developed as a spec uh, script by one of the four screenwriters listed here. And that's a problem, which we'll come back to. Um, It was developed uh, and sold uh, to Paramount originally, I think. And it had Tom Cruise attached to Star, which absolutely would not have worked. Um, But if recent, um, uh, you know, Blockbuster Fair and Box Office Fair have shown us original stories like this, even though it's borrowing heavily, it's quite quite derivative for an original story. It's borrowing heavily from every other time travel movie ever made. They don't make an awful lot of money at the box office. So if there's one kind of, you know, admirable factor here, it is that, you know, although it's a formula that's proven to work, the Sean Levy and Ryan Reynolds formula that is, and Ryan Reynolds playing himself again, um, you know, there is something, you know, admirable about the fact that, okay, well, you know, at least it's not based on a book. It's not a sequel to anything. It's not based on a comic book. That said, it is way, way too in depth to spielberg's work and to every time travel movie ever made i mean it's a bit of a jumbled spielberg pastiche you know it doesn't have really an idea of its own an identity of its own um and it's a lot i mean listen, listen listen to me talk about the plot there it's an awful lot more complicated than it needs to be because really there are some terrific ideas in here for a solid time travel movie if you were just to pick a lane Something about a fighter pilot from the future going back in time to look for his wife who was lost in the past or something about a fighter pilot from the future going back in time to save his father, Mark Ruffalo from dying. There are two great films. Pick one. Pick, just pick one of them, and and it's it's such a shame then that you know like my you know plot synopsis it just keeps tripping over itself and also the special effects aren't all that special and I am you know disappointed to, to report it probably won't be a surprise that Ryan Reynolds he's on autopilot here that's a terrible pun I know because he is playing one but it really is it's just the it's just the same old Sarky Ryan Reynolds playing Ryan Reynolds stick that is starting to get you know and I and I used to be a big you know um, I I used to be a big admirer of his it's starting to get annoying.
0: What about the the interaction between him and the young boy? Because um, I've heard the young fella, again, sorry, his name just slipped me there, but he is meant to do quite a decent impression of Ryan Reynolds. So how was their interplay?
2: Yeah, look, their interplay is actually the same. Like the Ryan Reynolds... Ryan Reynolds, when he's, you know, exchanging, you know, when he's with any other cast member, he's always the same. You know, their interplay is the same. It doesn't matter whether it's Ryan Reynolds and Mark Ruffalo, Ryan Reynolds and Jennifer Garner. You're right. What does make a little bit of difference is that Walker Scobell, again, you know, a complete newcomer here. He he is doing a fantastic job. I'd love I'd love to know what was said behind the scenes, how he was directed, because it seems as though he's been told you see this guy do the best possible impression you can do the most annoying younger version of Ryan Reynolds that you can possibly do. And and he, and he succeeds and he gets an awful lot of good lines. And, you know, if anything, you know, I'd be thinking about adding on an extra star for his performance and I'd like to see more of him, but you know, when it comes to Ryan Reynolds, kind of, you know, uh, goofing off of other actors,
3: we're just
0: getting the same old stick again. Andy, after everything you've heard there with the Adam project, would it switch you
3: on to watching it? No, definitely not. And the director <laughs> as well, Sean Levy, just kind of, he, he's like a Stephen Summers, Reuben Fleischer or what's the, the well, I was going to say, Juicy smiley that's directing Black Adam. Just bland, like, you know, films like Real Steel, The Internship, Cheaper Boy That Does. No one's that just kind of, oh yeah, came and went, was on in the background, two and a half, three stars, I'm never going to watch it ever again. And Ryan Reynolds kind of aligning himself with that the same way The Rock has with The um, with what's the guy's name? It's, a Wamp-Kunets-a- Yeah, it just seems like you know I'm the star. You're just here to kind of facilitate me. We'll crank something out. We're not going to challenge anyone too much, and then we'll do the same thing again twelve months from now.
0: Yeah, I know it. It, it but you know what? You can kind of see Tom Cruise does the same thing for a while, doesn't he? He had Joseph Kaczynski he for Oblivion, and then he brought him on board for um for uh, recently for Top Gun, and he seems to have done the same with Christopher McQuarrie in, in that. With the Mission Impossible films, he's brought him on a number of other different projects for for writing purposes as well. He just he tends to align himself with directors that he can control. Hmm. It's yeah, and I can definitely see where other uh, other uh, on screen talent have done the same. And um, we're gonna before we move on, let's just take a little bit from the Adam project, which is currently playing on Netflix.
2: Laura, this is
0: me. Hi. parallel contact, babe. Well, you know, you've always said that you wished you'd met me earlier. Here I am. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do you remember this? I mean, if this is happening to me, it already happened to you, right? Unless
2: it works more like a multiverse where each ripple creates an all-time. Well, a right? multiverse.
0: My God, we watch too many movies. So next up, we have uh, the latest film from Sean Baker, which is called Red Rocket. And for those that don't know, Sean Baker, he's uh, he's written, he's directed, and he's edited The Florida, Florida Project, and before that, uh, Tangerine and Starlet. So he's the filmmaker who has been really building um, a lot of momentum and a fan base at the same time. And um, his last film being the Florida project with which Willem Dafoe was um, Oscar nominated for, which is all set around and um, not much a housing complex, but a motel and um, that um, destitute families essentially would be able to um, get cost effective bed and board and it was close to Disneyland. So you've got to had these really desperate families all within the shadow of the big mouse house and the the contrast, they were obviously glaring. And but within this community, within this, uh, the Florida project, this motel setup, there was so much heart, humor and warmth, even though the children that ran around were oblivious to the financial dire straits that uh, their parents and guardians were under. Well, I'm intrigued to see Red Rocket, and it seems like this one might even venture into darker territory than, because the Florida Project kind of hints at some of the darkness that's just there on the periphery um, of this motel that Willem Dafoe is the manager of. But with Red Rocket, Chris, you've seen this. It's The, 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 go, the main guy in question is played by Simon Rex, who's one of those actors that, Maybe for some, maybe thought he would go on to bigger things, but he didn't. But he is playing a guy which Sean Baker has called a suitcase pimp in that he's a guy who was uh, once successful to a degree within the, the porn industry and has fallen out of favor. He's not a particular good guy at all. He's a bit of a poisonous individual, but he sees an opportunity to get back into the adult film world through a 17 year old girl that he meets in a donut shop. And she's a few weeks off from turning 18 and he sees her as a potential starlet that could go on to become huge success. And he could essentially be the puppet master of her um, of her potential success. And that seems to be the plot. Would I be right in saying, Chris?
2: Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't make it sound uh, particularly great, to be honest. I know when you when you start kind of spelling it out in details, particularly the, the 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 plot about him discovering this girl in the donut shop, and she's you know still uh, a few weeks shy of eighteen. But you know the important thing to remember is that Baker's film it doesn't glorify any of this, and it actually plays it out so that you understand that this is. You know, this uh, uh uh you know, very funny at times, but tragic comedy about a despicable hustler who is absolutely despicable. Um, but yeah, Simon Rex plays Mikey Davies. He um he actually shows up on his abandoned wife, Lexi's doorstep in Texas City at the beginning of this film, soundtracked by an then sing song, brilliantly soundtracked by an then sing song, and he's broke, he's bruised, he's battered. I don't know what's after happening to him. Um, but he's just taken a, a two-day bus trip across America and he's got nowhere to stay. And he wants to stay at the home of his abandoned. And wife. You know, she and her uh, mom, uh, Lil, played by Brenda D- Dice, who actually uh, uh, a non-actor who actually uh, died a few weeks ahead of the film's release uh, in this, in this territory. Um, they eventually uh, agreed to put him up on the condition that he finds work, because the one thing about Mikey is that he's very good at getting what he wants, because he can turn on charm when he wants to. But no one will hire him because he's a washed-up porn star. And there's this <laughs> there's this you know great running gag about there being a twenty-year gap in his CV, and everyone kind of wondering why. And whenever they ask him why, he just says, "Go to this porn site. Go to this film." yeah, have you seen this? I won three awards for that. So he was very successful. But there, for reasons that I won't spoil, his adult film career has kind of gone into the toilet. And again, finds this local uh, donor shop worker. He sees something in her. He actually starts a relationship with her. And he also thinks that she might be his ticket back into the industry. Again, that sounds very seedy. It doesn't sound particularly promising. But this is a remarkable film, Gordon. I mean, it does follow in the footsteps of Tangerine and the Florida Project before us in that what we're getting is kind of, you know, a low budget, rough and ready snapshot of basically contemporary American lives on the margins where, you know, you've got this guy who's just come from the, you know, kind of fairy tale uh, dreamlike setting of Hollywood, despite the fact that he was in porn movies, um, coming back down to earth in a place that is just overrun with poverty and drug problems. I mean, he does kind of get this side gig, you know, dealing weed around his old haunts. So there's an awful lot of, and there's an awful lot going on under the surface here. Um, and I also think that the decision for John Baker to keep things as low as possible and to hire non-actors to perform alongside actors who, I mean, Simon Rex, like he is an actor, but he's not one who will be familiar, you know, on this side of the world um, or familiar to viewers on this side of the world. The decision to not cast anyone that big in this kind of keeps this, grounded and also the decision to hire non-actors gives it a docudrama feel um so all of that sounds maybe a little bit gimmicky but it's not i found this phenomenal i thought it was you know darkly funny very clever had an awful lot to say and also unusually poignant and tragic Um, i really i got on very well with it gordon
0: oh and a 10 where are we giving red rocket chris
2: i'm gonna be generous i'm gonna go for the whole 10 it is something special Oh, 10. Wow. Yeah.
0: And that is our lot for this week on We Love Movies. Thank you so much for your company. From me, Gordon Hayden, Andy McCarroll, and Chris Wasser. Thank you so much. We will chat to you again next Sunday from 8. Enjoy the rest of your bank holiday weekend.